Hello, and welcome to Growing the Top Line, a podcast where I interview leading executives and CEOs to get their perspectives on growth strategy. My name is Cliff Farah, President and CEO of The Beacon Group, a growth strategy consulting firm. Join us as we dig deeper into the process of, well, growing the top line. So, Marty, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Everyone, this is Marty Curran, a, a longtime client and leading thinker in my experience in the world of growth. Marty is Corning's innovation, first uh, innovation officer for Corning. Yes? Yes, sir. Uh, and my relationship with Marty goes back to when you were uh, general manager of Corning's cable business. Yes? Cable hey, systems? An activity business, yes. 2000. Four, 2005, yeah. way back, yeah. Right, right when we launched Private of the Home with uh, the Horizon Files. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, um, th- again, Marty, thank you. Thanks for making some time to talk today. So, I know that you've had a great career at Corning. You've been at Corning a while. Can we talk just a little bit, just for context for people, about your background and how you got to where you are and kind of what you do? Came up through the financial, after we left our, our common place there, UVA. And, uh, yep, I wore my... Loving that, loving it. Uh, came in, came in as a financial analyst into uh, what was the beginning of optical fiber revolution, where they were making uh, cables there. And uh, in that career, hitting the becoming assistant controller and end controller, I recognized I loved the cost part of it. I hated the gap and compliance part of it. Right? I always felt like you spent two weeks out of the month in sheer hell, and then two weeks out of a month really doing the stuff that matter for the business. Yeah, uh, got asked to go from uh, finance without any background into manufacturing. I love that about Corning. If there's a problem to be solved and they think somebody can do that, uh, they'll take a shot. And so I, I read up everything I could at the time on uh, just-in-time and world-class manufacturing. And we did some fun stuff with Kanbaning and, and the early days of Lean and uh, just, just improving stuff and really at the time, spending a lot of time on prototyping because we knew that the lifeblood to winning customers over was to make sure that our product line managers had prototypes when they needed them as fast as they could. Yep. So that was, that was fun. I got the tap on the shoulder to go into marketing. They had a beautiful connectivity business. Uh, when, when we did the activity-based costing, we found that it, it had nice gross margins, but they were losing money because of all the insane amount of engineering that was required down below to get things done and all the development. Yeah. So we worked on that for a while. That turned into be pretty good business. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, the, the sojourn came. I took a three-year walkabout where I had a disagreement and then went up, went up and uh, became a general manager and help somebody do a turnaround wow guys got bought out by a pe company and i you know i always they always say you can't go home but i love the guys at corning and they asked me when i come back and i participated in the boom the bust and at the time (laughs) they made me a general manager i inherited that and it was uh it was an incredible uh feeling to try to hold on for dear life and and keep a company going so I ran a couple of businesses then for Corning, and uh, in 2012 got asked to do this innovation. That's the short story. That's a that's a great okay. So that's a great that's a great tale. And I know from what I know of Corning, you know, core science, engineering, R and D, 
it's it's a fundamental area of investment culturally, right? Like you all celebrate science and technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about you know innovation and and what being an innovation officer is all about. A, I did sense you a wonderful slide that showed okay. innovations that came from a company that believes in inventing organically and uh, you know solving customer problems, and it so happens that a lot of them become you know, life-changing kinds of things. So every day you use Pointing, whether you're on your phone, the Gorilla Glass is touching you, the optical fiber is transmitting your signals, the car that you get in has our filter, the screens that where you and I are communicating here have our LCD glass. And so it's a wonderful thing that well, what these guys can do and, and, and then begin to build it. I think that the fundamental thing we try to do uh, our, our CEO said it best. It's a change management process. Yep. You got you have change management at a customer, change management within your own company, and you've got to be able to find that problem and then be able to resolve for them. Right? Marty, is this the the presentation? Yeah, go, yeah, go to move up a slide right there. Look at that right there. The life changing okay. innovation. So you can see that 1877. from 1877. Yeah, all the way back to railroad lanterns, red, yellow, green. So yeah. the precursors of our traffic lights, and you can see all the way over to the far right where you have the uh, gorilla glass and filters and optical fiber up there with our reel on there. Uh, the fusion, you can see in, in uh, uh, 1964, the fusion glass being invented. Typical of Corning is many times when the uh, invention is made, it is a little bit too early. <laughs> say a little bit too early, you know, 15 years too early. People will say, hey, you know, you guys are patient money. And the answer is we are not. Every year that budget comes up, there's a constant discussion about do you stop something and how yeah. do you make that and whether or not you can keep it going and work on it. And then it, it has happened so many times in the career that I'm, I've drank the Kool-Aid and believe it. You will have not used the technology. A customer will then have a problem. And you'll go back and find that technology and use it. That's what happened with Gorilla Glass. That's that's like the most famous example, right? That was a great example. Right? Yeah. And by the way, optical fiber took 17 years. They, those guys, uh, we had them here for their 40th, uh, telling the stories, and they said, you know, we didn't, we thought everybody else was ahead of us, and yeah. the theory wasn't theirs. The theory had been invented by a guy who got the Nobel Prize. They. These guys were only figured out how to actually make it work. That was fun. You know, when you see that happen, and, and it, there's nothing more disheartening than when somebody brings a something to your office that they're the only people in the world that have this thing, and you can't find a place to use it. Right. Prop doesn't work. It's it's amazing when you get stuff like that. Now we don't know if we're dinosaurs, Cliff. And, and our day is done, or if this is the way to do it and people have forgotten, but yeah. we believe that investing in research and development and, and connecting to customers is the old-fashioned way of, you know, making making money. So, so Gorilla Glass was interesting, right? You had invented that for what? Was it for race cars or for Actually, safety glass? For auto, yeah, for auto glass. It was the idea of having a, a uh, unbreakable glass. And uh, it went into, you know, hibernation for a little while. Right. And, uh, our chairman had always loved it. He loves the idea of, you know, can you make a glass that cannot be broken? Yeah. And uh, he, he uh, trotted it back out. And when, when uh, he met with Steve Jobs for a completely different reason, 
for a projector where Jobs told them that's just a dumb idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to do all the whole projecting on a screen, but yeah. I'm having trouble because the screen is plastic. And uh, we trotted out, you know, this older uh, technology and turned it into something brand new. That's great. It that's is fantastic. Great. By the way, most of these things that you see up here have turned out like that. There's always some uh, serendipity with how things come along and when they come along. Yep. But, uh, there's actually projects here where you'll say, look, I got to schedule an invention. I need to get from here to from the part from A to B. There's an infinite numbers of ways to get there. I'm hoping you're going to give me the low cost way to get there, not just in developing it, but what you end with. Can you help me do that? Yeah. Um, no, we have a lot of failures, but the ones that are successes, there's nothing better than seeing it take off and go. So do you think, and, and, and that's, this is great, by the way. Um, thank you for sharing that. We'll come, we'll come back to that doc. I'm sure. The notion of culturally though, when you look for, you know, like the, 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 the 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 pressure on the designers you're more interested and and I and I miss I, you told me one time how many um, scientists you have in any one time working right. on, there's, on a, there's a lot and there there's global labs and, and you you think of the right way I'm glad you remember that because they yeah. look most of our our R and D spend I think we're at nine percent right now but we. 80% of it is aligned with the business units. Okay, so the DE for sure, the R then is, is uh, partially aligned with them. And then there's a pure part of R, which is uh, the CTO's prerogative about what he's going to work on. Okay. What he thinks that we should be spending time on, like that unbreakable class. Right. There's things to be seen like that. Now, you know, we, we, do, we do do prioritization, we look at a lot of stuff. And we're getting a lot better at, um, you know, you're, you have your own matrix of how we look at it. We would say yeah. if, you're, if you're within uh, what we say is three, four, five. I didn't send you that slide, but you and I have talked about <laughs> yeah. it. The, the three technologies that our scientists are right. working with that, yep. the four manufacturing processes and the five market access platforms. Our yep. idea, as simple as it is is if you do something within them, you're going to have a lower cost of innovation because you're good at those things. Yep. If you go outside and, and we say it's a rule of thumb, you know, 80% should be within. Yep. If you're going to go outside, number one, it better be big, better be a big idea. And number two, then we better pay a hell of a lot more attention because we'll have a lot more failures with those. Yeah, I, it's interesting. You know, we've we've been doing a lot of work and talking to other folks for the for the book, right? So pure functions in many ways about how they, you know, what they seek out. And I've been surprised at the role I've I've, I've heard uh, from many people about. And I guess it's fu it's a function of being companies of scale. They're they're looking for opportunities in excess of GDP, right? Yep. Growth rates growth rates in excess of GDP are much easier to win in. Right, there are much healthier businesses in general than rising tide lifts all boats and all that. There you go. Yep. Yeah, you got it. So, so Marty, how does, does the innovation role fit within like CTO and this long-standing, I mean, what, two hundred-year culture of innovation? Right. How do you? One hundred sixty-nine, baby, still alive. One hundred sixty-nine, young. You're young. Well, by the way, we just, as a management team, just read the you know, GE lights out. We live just south of Kodak. We we are painful. I, I like to describe myself as a paranoid optimist, and uh, I think you have to keep that paranoia uh, when you're going through this. So the the best place to get innovation, my belief is 
within the market access platform because you know your customer, you know your technologies, and you're solving their problem. Yep. When you're looking for new growth, like your your methodology, mm -hmm. you you then where are the other things coming from? And and that's this role where we look at three places. One, it's coming off of research. We got a fabulous little technology now that it, it uh, it's a combination of copper and glass ceramic. And we, we make it into this, I call it pixie dust. You sprinkle it into paint, you can mix it up and you have an anti-viral paint. Interesting. It kills 99.9%. Where Now, if you ask me what market access platform does that fit in, it doesn't. It came out of research, and so you, now you manage that. Second place is uh, we have uh, uh, the business teams themselves, the businesses will say, I need to, I have an idea, but I can't work on it. I have to stay focused on the things I have. We ended up with the pharmaceutical glass Valor came out of that, and the uh, uh, auto glass uh, piece. Both of those, as we say, graduated now back to the divisions. I can't say that I'm the best at lifting a division up into uh, uh, reality and then moving it. I think you're yeah. always better, Cliff, having a division with its resources manage those big ideas. But what we found is if you leave it with the division in the incubation stage, the, the quarterly earnings will tend to crowd it out. Yeah, you, I think that's right. You really got to pay attention to it. So we try to balance it by having it here. Then the last one is, there's an exploratory group. People knock on the door and say, can you help us? And we sift through it. And I have to be honest with you. I've always thought I would be doing a lot more crowdsourcing and global trotting around looking for things. But we have not done that because we have uh, too many things to work on here that we have to sift through. Too many. Still looking for the easy ones, man. <laughs> so... So it's hard work. <laughs> yeah, I, hey, I I think it's I think it's fair that you know in 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 most companies of scale that are driven by a technology or science, um, they 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 struggle with how to protect innovation, right? How many times do you think you've reinvented your value proposition as a company in the hundred you know sixty plus years that you've existed? You know, it's interesting you say that because I think that it's changed on occasion, at least in the time, my 30 years. Uh, yeah. number of times. But I think now that um, I think there was a factoid that came out the other day that was, uh, in the last 20 years, we made more money than in the first 150 combined, huh. even inflation adjusted like 2x. And you know, I, I, I give a lot of that credit to our chairman who has said, look, we're going to do this strategy and growth. We're going to we're going to lean into growing and innovating. And at the same time, we're going to spend a lot of time on execution. In the old days, Corning would uh, invent something. Many of those things you saw on that chart. Yeah, they would sell it, Cliff. Yeah. Right when it hit its part and they would have it. And what we realized was. As you watch something decline, that's when the cash comes off. Yeah. And you should be reinvesting that cash into the future. And so we, we've done that. And I think this idea of the three, four, five focus and bring those things, uh, bring these ideas out. Now, you you talk about, you talk briefly for the, the cast here about your methodology. Yeah. So we, you know, our, our philosophy is, you know, there are really four decisions that you have to make to think through growth, right? 
And and you know one is one is who you're going to sell to, and that's either an existing customer or a new customer, right? That's a pretty fundamental. Right. That's a pretty fundamental question. And then, you know, what are you going to sell them, right? Well, are you going to sell them something that exists or something new? And and you know that's that's when when we were in school, Marty, that was the limit of what we got, right? This is the the sources of revenue are those are those two things. That's it, yeah. And 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 so you know in our in our function right in our in our world as growth strategists we we have to advise people on how to actually go to market and so to do that we we think there are two more variables you got to worry a lot about one is just geographically where are you going to do this and and you know lot, lots of failure and risk when you start to expand your footprint uh, physically um, and then the second one and I'm I actually I want to push you on this one and see what you think if it falls into your wheelhouse or not because I would argue it does, by the way, um, is is business model innovation. Right. So this notion of, of a consumption-based model and designing products and services with a recurring revenue stream or a long tail business model, you know, in, in, in uh, tech heavy companies, you might see like IP licensing as a as a as a comfortable, well-known way to approach that. But I think it's a step beyond. I think, you know. And it doesn't matter the industry. You know, financial services, fintech companies are are are, are carving stuff out. Defense, you know, it's uh, companies that have been able to transition to services and service-based or performance-based contracting uh, kinds of models. And and I think you know when you when you when when you look at you know some of the stuff you guys are 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 focused on now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at your your emerging innovations slide. You know, I would think you know, you, from a corporate standpoint, ought to be thinking about how to incorporate a business model innovation into the monetization of those. uh, That's fair. And I have to tell you, famously, we do not have this this huge license portfolio, and I'll explain why in a minute. Yeah. And and famously, the business models uh, innovation that goes on are within the businesses we have not done the the way that you purely think of it. So the, the first one is, we use our IP and our our license, our our inventions, as a as a. Uh, I will teach you uh, to our customers how to do something if you use my product, because we invent, make, and sell. Right, and so it, we do not do. Uh, we're not. We're famously also not to have a service uh, part. Right, we we play with that in smaller pieces here that we're experimenting with. Yeah, not a big part that. The other part is, I think that the business models that I've found uh, since coming uh, into the into this area here have been more involved with how are you using your inventions to help customers and then ensure a supply of product for corning that we're yeah. going to continue to manufacture and extend. Because <clears throat> one of the things we do also famously is once we have that lead that that first shot that we like to lean into the tech hard and make those investments because we want to be the low cost guy. Right. We do want to be the innovator. You know how there's people that tell you, you have to be one of these things. Yeah, we don't, we don't really believe in that. We believe you got to be the innovator. You got to be a low cost guy and you got to be great with your customers. So yeah. if you can't balance those things, the, in the, the pure, uh, I forget the guy's name, but the pure business model guys, our best businesses, tick off every one of those boxes all three of those right when we start we don't we're not as good i admit that we 
we'll pick one or two things, a great product, a great relationship, a first mover advantage, you know? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, what's interesting about Corning is um, when you think about your competitors, they aren't as well organized or thoughtful about creating barriers to competition in IP, you know, uh, we're in an old industry. I, I, I think, I think, I think history is littered with companies. Uh, uh, Kodak, you brought up Kodak, right? Yes. Kodak, Kodak invented the digital camera. They knew how long it was going to be in the market. And then they, they just, you know, screwed up when they came to execution on the, on the tail end of that. And, you, you know, it's, 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 I think our clients, it's very traditional because we deal with large companies. They struggle with um, that model you have, which is I'm just going to give you away all of this wraparound thought if you buy our product, right? And, and, and what's happened is in their worlds, in your world, right? Uh, SIs have sprung up, you know, and, and, and the value has, uh, think about uh, fiber to the home, right? Yes. Um, right. It's no longer just fiber. It's connectors. It's no longer just connectors. It's switches. It's no longer Wireless. just. Yeah. 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 It's fine. Yeah. So there's so much movement that um, traditionally you may have controlled that now is, is, you know, sort of out there in the, in the competitive landscape. I, I, I'm curious. I will be curious to see if over time, you know, you've got to rethink that notion of uh, creative acquisition for customer because it limits, I think, by definition, given the scale of your interest, it limits you to companies of scale as your primary uh, service point. And you're right. The one thing that we have, we have a very good uh, innovation process guy that helps me with some of this thought. We've made the observation that uh, the the ecosystem that you play in matters greatly and how much you have to change that to bring the invention into really, really is a uh, great metric for whether you're going to be successful or not. So we use that term new growth innovation. Yeah. Tied to your point about the last two things. That yeah. You there, that new growth innovation is something that is outside of the way you do it now. Either the material is new, but the customer is the same. Mm. The material's the same, but the customer is new. The market is new. The country is new. You're exactly right about geography, right? Yep. Every country has different ways of doing the business. So this this is sort of how we lay it out, right? We we yeah. we talk about um, you know this fundamental decision about customer for you know so so I know you you're very you're very uh, 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 conservative as a company and you have a very senior role in the company, so you were loath to share some thinking on your percentages, but I'll just share my take on a lot of what you guys are probably up to these days. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got most of your business is coming from existing customers with some percentage of new uh, client type, customer type emerging just through the nature of, of uh, the evolution of the market, right? Companies of scale are starting to come up and be disruptive. But I'd, I'd say you're probably 90, 10, you know, 85, 15, something like that. Um, you know, in this defend and grow bucket where your your existing customers, your 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 focus. I think you've already got your footprint. You know, you you guys aren't gonna really blow out uh, geographic expansion right now. You don't need to. You're trying to leverage existing infrastructure investment. So I'm just gonna call that a hundred percent, just to be obnoxious, right? You you might argue ninety ten or ninety five five or something like that, but it's it's gonna be heavy duty. And then I, I think where you all uh, are. 
are fundamentally different is that that you celebrate innovation for technologies for innovation's sake, right? Mm -hmm. You don't. You're not. Your 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 process includes listening to the market and then designing to meet market need, but but it also embraces this notion of good science um, creates good opportunity, right? right. So you right. might at the fairway we we would say pull and push. Yeah, and and uh, the the research guys will invent things that you have to figure out what to do with. The other part is listening to customers and pulling. Yeah. yeah. So, so and then and then and then the last piece would just be you know how disruptive is your model going to be? You're a mature uh, uh, company that's got a really nice niche. If it's not broken, don't break it. So the so the business model is is probably going to be static until it needs to change. This one's core, right? Milk, milking the cow. That's existing, 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 right? That makes total sense. And then new customer, right? Classic new account edition. That would be that would be typical for you. Right. Uh, where where you're going to see higher percentages than most of our clients or most companies in in the world of of, of scale is this new offering focus. And that's going to allow you to do some different things, right? So one is you keep your existing customers mm -hmm. happy. The other, the other would be that that you know, as you as you look at uh, as you look at acquiring uh, new new customers, having uh, you know disruptive technologies that people want, anti-infective paint. Think about that when you look at it. If you looked at the sales today, you would have one percentage. If you looked at the RD&E spend, yeah. you'd have a different percentage. And if you look at profit. Yeah, the sales, yeah, or the profit. The sales from Valor, the new pharmaceutical glass or the auto yeah. glass solutions yeah. or this uh, antimicrobial paint, though all the sales of those are small, but the money that you're putting in in the R D and E area is yeah. a much larger percentage. Right. And it, it does take a while. But, architecture but, I found is the longest. Uh pharma is probably right behind them. And then you got consumer mobile consumer access is every year. So Marty, how long does it take for a market to develop develop, right? I've heard some really great stats in my life. I've heard that if you go to uh the West Coast and you talk with anyone in the VC world Right. And and you you promise them growth within a short time frame that that they'll laugh at you right that that it takes ten years to get to a hundred million right in anything no matter what do you think that's right does that make sense to you well I I'm gonna tell you two two flavors of that one is I think it takes longer than people think and the number that sort of sticks my anecdotal number is seven or eight years okay and then i have had two you you were part of you were around for one of them fiber to the home was one yep and this gorilla glass was a second that did it almost like that like, like, i'm always saying look we worked hard but it happened there was the pull you had it now the, the thing that was common about both of those and by the way the the a, a lot of these things even though people would say hey that's an overnight success it happened like that both of them had 25 years of of uh, built on our DNA where we where we tried stuff and then we it didn't work we put it away and then when the time finally came that the customer clicked right that you actually had that crystallizing customer yeah we had that installed base that three four five to be able to bring forward and bring out to those guys what is so what, what is I wish I could repeat that more often. Uh, but that's the that's the magic that we see, right? 
What what about what about though? It's so it's so it's super interesting because culturally, you don't you don't like if you're if if one of your engineers designs something and it doesn't hit, you know they you know we burned our hands on the stove. You don't run away from it. You just no. say, oh, not yet. It's we'll proof it a little longer, yeah, right? We're gonna play it, Ron. And by the way, you look at some of these guys. Look at telecom, man. That yeah. thing, the, the the market. I don't even think you could call it telecom anymore. Call right. it communications, right? Exactly. Call yeah. it optical communications. Yep. The and by the way, wireless only wants to stay in the air long enough till it can get to glass, right? And so we look at that, and we look at the geographies, and we look at all this stuff. There's there's so much more. It, the the you know we can't mention it, but the amount yeah. of fiber we sell now. If if back when I was running fiber only a decade ago, yeah, I couldn't have even imagined yeah that amount of fiber being sold. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, in, it, in the, in the, that right. You know, the the pandemic is is interesting too, right? Yeah. All this whole work from home, educate from home, telemedicine, yeah, uh, you know, is is big. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a good, it's a good time to be uh, corning right now. That's, that's, well, that's. Not, for not just that, but think about it. It's a good time to be somebody disruptive or wanting to yeah. disrupt because things are changing, and uh, we don't all know what's going to happen. You're going to make a lot of money consulting. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It is. It is. But, but, but again, what's, what's interesting is, so you, you, you create it, right? It doesn't work. That's okay. Go work on this next project. We're going to put this on the shelf and we're going to keep an eye on it. And when someone and using goes, your model, if you wanted to go through your 16 pieces, yeah, you, you, you can, you know, over time, you're going to make your way down through each of these things. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, but also, there are other, there are other companies that, you know, make big bets, visible bets and they struggle. And, um, uh, you know, they, they don't like to repeat those mistakes and they get, they get their hands burned and they walk away. Um, and, and so culturally, it's interesting to see that, that even though you're a, a mature uh, company of scale that's been around for a long time, you, you celebrate this notion of try and try again, right? Like, right. We have, we have a, we have a, a day project every Halloween. Actually, I think it's your Halloween's on a Saturday, so it'll be on a Friday. And we have people get up for the ones, the projects we kill for, the past year and say yeah. what did you learn you know what what was the, what were you trying to do what did you learn and who do we thank because we were told by people that whenever that we kill projects that people had to sort of slink off and they weren't getting recognized yeah 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 decided that you know maybe we ought to talk about those things a little more so we have a little bank now uh, that we use internally to help people look at why did this thing fail right? So the, so the value is like Gorilla Glass. You guys developed it 25 years earlier. Research kept it in their library. It's in the library. And then you brought it to market in, what, six months, yes. I believe? Six Stunning. months to production? Stunning. How, and how long would it normally have taken? Oh, man, it depends, right? Look at uh, Valor Glass. Yeah. Making these the vials, right, for that. By the way, the pandemic helped. Yeah. The government just... Uh, uh, invested 204 million into our factory to be able to build these things, right? But yeah. the, that Valor glass, we discovered what was going on back in 2012. That yeah. there's a lot of breakage, there's a lot of issues now. Here we are, 2020, and look how long that took for it to yeah. go through this stuff, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, they, uh, I don't know. I, I, 
there has to be some amount of luck in or, or timing. That's probably a better way to say it. Where like the pandemic happened. Yeah. We were going along you doing this antimicrobial material. We knew that it had antiviral properties. We said we'd do that later. And then the pandemic happened. The, the, the scientist who runs the program, he pivoted, got all the testing. Then the EPA said, you have a first of its kind in the world. Yeah. And, and then, holy cow, what do you do with something like that? Right. What, so what's worth? Yeah. By the way, new growth innovation on your category. Yeah. Totally disruptive. It's on that number one. Bring it. Do we know paint companies? We do not. Do we do this kind of? We do not. So we're learning as we're going along, trying to figure that out. That learning will be very helpful in coming later on as as uh, add-ons come to this. Right? So so let's let's play this out for a sec. So on the model, if you can imagine risk, there's a and the goal in this model is just to flunk all the bad ideas as quickly as you can when yes, you're thinking yes. about how you're going to grow your business, right? Um, what's interesting about you is you flunk them, but you save them, right? Uh, or, you know, if you've invested, you, 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 you save, save You save the capability. Um, you, you'll flunk the project and you'll save the capability and see right. if it'll back in. But I can't tell you how many times people will say, hey, you know, uh, so-and-so worked on, on that project. Can you bring them in to help you here? And you get that native knowledge. So, so that's right. So, so, but, but play this out, right? In the world of risk, the most risky thing the most risky is when you're going for a new customer in a new geography where you're not really well known with a new offering and you're trying a totally disruptive acquisition model that you've never tried before. That is, you know, that is betting the farm kind of risk, right? This, you, you're going after a new customer community, but, but the strength you have is everyone sort of knows and trusts Corning. So when you, when a Corning sales rep walks through the door to a new account, um, they have brand awareness and there's value in that. Uh, we're able we're able to get the meeting doesn't yep. mean we're not stupid sometimes okay. you know but, we don't know the market but you're right we can get the meeting you get the meeting it's in an existing geography so there's no repatriation rules there's no infrastructure but you've got people there who can do it it's a new offering right it's something new so there, there is risk here right there's you got to train the sales force they got to know what the hell it is they're selling and the value proposition I got to be able to speak language of the customer in this particular case. And by the way, the, the a learning we had is don't teach the sales force anything until that first person who knows it really well and hits all the guys and has the crystallizing customer. Yeah. You have a hit. When you have that hit, then you begin that, that training. In okay. the old days, Cliff, we did it the other way. It was very not a good thing. Mask, you do. You do. <laughs> so so you, you're looking for the marquee customer now as your first. We call uh, well, we, we would say a crystallizing customer okay. is someone who, if they adopt it, uh, can influence the market and, and have a uh, tipping point effect. Got In it. old days, we would have, a lot of times, because I've done this, go to a small customer to try it out and then say, okay, I got it. But then a larger customer won't go for that right. because a small customer is not valid. So right. we go without the safety net. We go with somebody who's usually has to be above the 10% of the market yep, or higher. And, and uh, you know, for us, clearly Apple and uh, uh, guys like Samsung have been very good tipping points, right? Sure. They, they really have. A lot, lot, of, lot of credibility. And then, and then you avoid the risk, by the way, of, of a new model. You know how to charge for stuff. Your accounting systems are set up. You've got comps, comp plans for your sales force. All that's figured out. That removes risk. So, so this is actually kind of a very normal 
healthy, expected way for you to behave, right? If I, if I was, if I was Darwin, uh, if I was a Darwinist, I'd say this is a natural behavior for you. It's not evolutionary. It's an evolutionary product, but you make evolutionary products for the markets. This is a very natural thing for you to do. So on the risk schema, this is a pretty low risk thing for you to be pursuing because you've already proven that it, it, it sort of works for you. Yeah, the high risk ones are the ones like when you, well, think about it, Jobs invented the mobile consumer market. It didn't exist. So we're yeah. in like he was entering in and kind of following along, right? We were in the consumer with the TVs, but yeah. this was a different kind of game. This idea of Valor Glass being in the uh, vials for pharmaceutical, that's, by the way, we invented the glass that they use for the existing one back in 1915. Can you imagine that? And talk about a, a wheel coming around slowly. You know? Glass is this amazing, uh, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you, it's this amazing substance, but I never realized how strong it was uh, until, until I was trying to get smart on the company when we first started working with you and I was reading through your history and I, and I learned about bathospheres, you know, the, the, <laughs> Right. Yeah. The, 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 the glass bubbles that divers would go in and go to immense depth in the water. Right. And, right. and, and you know, the, the water pressure, you know, just comes up a little bit in it, uh, but it's a self-contained uh, environment that can right. glass. Well, it's glass can be amazingly fragile or I, I've watched the one, one where I got convinced yeah. trying to develop a connector for optical fiber and they, they would stamp the metal stainless steel around the glass and they said well oh, that's going to kill the glass no way man glass is stronger than stainless steel and as he stamps it down it would wrap around the glass and right i was telling myself okay i didn't know that i know I was that, <laughs> but i didn't understand it till you see it when it happens it's an amazing material and i think that the the, the uh the ways that our guys play with compositions to you know here's a great great example the the biggest market in the world, which we're not in, is window glass. And they invented oh. this flow process, these these huge lines, right? They're like half a football field. And you look at these things. It was wonderful for what it did. Uh, but the guys will run that composition maybe for a decade. Okay, Our CTO is running three to 5,000 different compositions. Little melts over here in yeah. the research area yeah. every year. He's doing that to tinker with how do I get a composition that'll be used for your bathosphere, for to be used in space, to be used on your TV, to yeah. make that breakable glass. Yeah. That to me is what where the you know, I, I'm always floored by some of the science they bring forward for that. Yeah, that's 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 amazing stuff. Um all right, Marty. So so you've had this amazing career. Our the, there are two kinds of reader for you know sort of target audience for our for our book, right? One is the new practitioner of, of growth. And the other is uh, sort of someone maybe in your role who's trying to teach an organization about growth and how to think about it. Um, what, you know, let's just pretend you're, you're, you're young Marty, fresh behind the ears. First time you've been challenged uh, with, with, you know, building a, a growth plan for a business, you know, that PL responsibility moment. Um, what what are your big lessons? Like, what are your top three things that you think you know a, a new practitioner should worry about? I think that since you and I were young, <laughs> there has been 
an amazing amount of tools that are brought up, right? And uh, one of our guys took a long time to study where we had the most failures. Yeah. And he said, if you do two things, you know, I think I'm going to eliminate, you know, two thirds of these things. We, we use that business model campus, right? Because we want to understand the ecosystem and where we're going to have pressure points. Yep. So, so maybe the first thing is to look out and try to think through, you know, see around the corner. You're not going to know it all, but at least you've thought about it. Right. And the second one is, what what are the, what must you believe for this to be true? These are the critical assumptions because they're, each assumption that you try to prove, Cliff, there, there's going to be one of two ways. One, it's going to prove to be wrong. Yeah. You should stop the project or you are wrong and you're going to blast through it. You're going to find that problem. You're going to solve it and you're going to get on to the next thing. Most of the projects we have are uh, tremendously inefficient in terms of they, they're very herky jerky, right? I, I, I liken it to a roller coaster. Yeah. Because that'll be my third thing to tell people. If you're going in hoping to have a very staid job, matter of fact, I look for people that can be very calm when things get really rough. This is the wrong job. And I'm, a, I'm an excitable person. It's killer for me, right? Because you go, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. You will have stuff, you'll have to take a left turn, uh, you know, almost daily. Curveballs come at you left and right. And then you, you manage it, you solve it, and then you move to the next thing. And if you can keep your eye on the ball out here, then that works. The other thing that even at this age, I struggle with, and it's really, really important. If you can put, you know, you put a lot of time into something. Right. You do it with your book and you're going to hand it to your editor. Right. And they're going to tell you, you know, this, some of this is bad, man. You got yeah. to fix it. Yeah. When you have a project that you've worked on and you put it in front of a forum to, to, to critically analyze it, they're going to give you things that have to be fixed. And first yeah. you're going to get pissed off about it and then you got to fix it. Yeah. And I think that the understanding as a, as a young person to find out who are those experienced people who have credibility, high judgment, and have been right more than they're wrong. Yeah. So you can bounce things off of that you're going to be able to do. Would you involve them in the process? The, well, one of our theses is that that you're much better off if you engage those people throughout the growth development yeah. process, right? You have, you have to do that. In fact, it's a, it's a, we've been trying to figure this out. Um, there's a certain personality you kind of need. Yeah. Like, manufacturing guy who's finally going to retire uh he's very very versatile but what he does best is he coaches he's not going to prescribe yeah. he's going to ask the questions make the people do the work and then say okay what does this tell you yeah and lead them to the path of what that what that is what that means right but yeah. i you know here's a great one for you we did a, a hr study on why is it that some scientists are entrepreneurial and others I'm sure there's a whole cycle <laughs> analyzed you know, five year. Here's the one thing that stuck with me because it seems to be true. The ones who had to do something entrepreneurial in their younger days, paper routes, you know, so lemon, they did, did something like that where they interacted with people Yeah, to be the ones that are more entrepreneurial. And because a scientist in general can be introverted, they'll be the extroverts. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, it's a very interesting thing that, Understanding how I, I use it as a team. We're the managers. The team is going to have an introvert, extrovert, and this and that. You got to put the team together. Very few yeah. 
in baseball, there's very few five-tool players. There just isn't. Yep. So the manager's got to say, okay, I'm going to platoon these guys with this guy. I'm going to bring this guy in to do that. And if you don't have that right chemistry on the team, you could have a great idea and you could blow that. I think yep. that's more important for startups because I know for our programs, if there's not good chemistry on the teams, then you, you we kind of tinker with it to get it to where it is. Those guys we, have to live together like startups and it's, you know, and they got to like each other. We, um, yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, we, a couple of things when I, <laughs> personal story, when I started the firm, I was very, you know, I had a pregnant wife and a one-year-old child and, it was post 9-11 and the market was in a shambles and Inspiration, man. my amazing. wife came into my office one day and I was having a, you know, this moment of crisis and uh, she handed me a, uh, it's in my office today, uh, this framed statement in it and it said, we will either find a way or we will make one. Right. And it was, you know, Hannibal, Carthaginian general, you know, AD, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it, but it's, but it's a force of will is a very difficult thing to teach to, to, to people. And, uh, and the teams I've seen do really well are the ones that just they have that mindset of I come to a wall, I'm going to knock it down, I'm going to dig under it, I'm going to walk around it, I'm going to get a ladder, I'll go over it. But it's just a wall and I'll I'll figure it out. And I think, you know, on the innovation front and the growth front, you know, whether you take that same non-entrepreneurial scientist and you give them a technical problem to solve, the great scientists never quit. Right. Yeah. They just keep By the way, you, this is an interesting point. That's why people have a hard time shutting down programs. Yeah. Yeah, because they don't quit. People say, man, if you just give me, it's all time. We say it's time, talent, and treasure. If you just give me a little more time, a little more talent, and a little more treasure, yeah. I'm going to solve this problem. And by the way, they may be right, but sometimes yeah. you got to call the ball, Super. Put, it on the shelf, put it on the shelf. And we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. So hard. So you're hard. exactly right, man. Hey, Marty, this has been great. Thank you so, so much. I, uh, you know, I've always enjoyed working with you. And I, I think the world I of. We, I hope we do some more together. We will. We will. Uh, yeah, I'll, we'll I'll, get through this nonsense. So. I, yeah, I agree. Well, stay healthy. And uh, I'm going to uh, shut down now. So thanks so much. Yeah, buddy. Take care, man. Have a good weekend, too, brother. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing the Top Line. For more information about growth strategies and to learn about our firm, please go to beacongroupconsulting.com. That's B-E-A-C-O-N-G-R-O-U-P consulting.com. And if you're interested in the book Growing the Top Line, it's available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes & Noble.